0: Our Heavenly Father, as we bow here, Lord, we, we acknowledge that You are here with us because that's what the Bible tells us. We acknowledge Your presence. We acknowledge Your comfort during times like this, Your love for us. Father, I pray now that as we move into this next part of our service, as we look into Your Word, that You would challenge us. And that, Father, that whatever is going on in our lives, that we would begin to look and to see what Scripture says. And adjust our lives accordingly. Father, help us to be a more godly people. A more committed people. Father, help us to walk more closely with you in our lives. Lord, we love you. And Father, we are looking to you for direction and guidance. And in honor, uh, Father, that uh, Lord, all of these things we are asking. And we are looking to for you. Looking to you for. So Father, again, we thank you. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you be seated? Now, for those of you that may not have been here last week, um, we're beginning a little mini-series, maybe five weeks tops, on our financial um, responsibility as Christians. And we're going to cover a lot of different things. And like I told you last week, this is not a series on giving. We'll touch on giving at some point. But this is just an overall look at finances and how it relates to us as believers and what the Bible has to say about it. Let me begin by reading you this little article I found in a magazine this week. It says, it's the best bit of fun that John Eric Trivedal has had in a long time. Testing the strength of an excavator just for fun at his job at a garbage dump in Norway. The 22-year-old used the machine's arm to crush... A thrown-away safe. Inside the crushed safe, the Norwegian man found nearly $20,000 in, ca- in cash. But instead of keeping the loot, the garbage worker handed it over to his boss, who then tracked down the original owner of the safe. Now, here's my question. You're on the excavator. You crack that safe open and twenty grand falls out. What do you do? What do you do? I've got to tell you something. I read this and I think, is he crazy? I said, this was in a garbage dump, you know, thrown away. But as it turns out, the thing was stolen and, and it needed to be returned to the owner and so forth. So he did the right thing. He acted with integrity. Now, <laughs> when we talk about financial integrity, we're looking at something that's a very rare commodity today. You don't hear a lot about that. You don't see it in the world. Um, most people live their lives just the opposite. You know, it's all about me, what I can get, and getting the best deal, and working around, and finagling, and lying, and cheating, and stealing, if necessary, just to to get something. How would you define integrity? And we're going to relate integrity to financial matters today. But when we talk about financial integrity, what comes to mind? Let me give you some statements, a definition, some examples, some statements they sort of summarize the whole thing, if you will, as far as financial integrity and how we would define it. Here's one thing we could say. We could say, first of all, that is being honest when no one else is looking. I think that's true of any integrity as it, matter, as it relates to any matter. But especially with um, finances, to be honest when nobody is looking. To act on biblical principles. In other words, we see what the Scripture has to say about our finances and our responsibility with our money. And there's a lot there, as we talked about last week. Two thousand verses in the Bible deal with this. But to talk about how you deal with your business, your personal finances, paying your bills, things like that. Some of you, let me ask you this. Do you know what your credit rating is? Do you know if there are black marks against your credit rating? I mean, this happens to a lot of, a lot of us, and, and I'm going to be the first to admit that things happen. Accidents happen. I remember when I was in seminary, and, you know, money was tight anyway, but one day Deb hands me an envelope. She said, here, this is the furniture bill, something, I don't know, some kind of bill we had. She said, pay this, make, drop it in the mailbox on your way out to go to seminary. I stick it up over the visor and I go to seminary and go to work, come back home. I didn't, move, I didn't pull that visor down for another month. That thing sat there and, and the bill started coming in overdue, past due, that sort of thing. You're 30 days, 45 days. Over. Deborah said, where's the, where's the bill? I mean, did, did they lose it? She said, did you mail it? I know I mailed it. You gave it to me. I had to mail it, you know, only to find that I didn't. And so here we are now, we get a credit report that comes in now, you're 30 days overdue on a bill. Let me tell you something, if that has ever happened to you, it takes like two years to get that thing off. It's like, it's worse than bankruptcy. Honest to goodness, it'll hurt your credit more than anything else in the world. Those of you that have experienced it, you know what I'm talking about. But when we're talking about acting according to biblical principles as it pertains to personal finances... Making sure that my bills are paid on time is very important. And I've got to tell you, living in this society in which we live in today, some people, this is a way of life. It's a way of life. You let bills go, you don't pay them, and it doesn't matter. And it's not that you don't have the money. It's that you've overspent, overextended yourself, or you just don't want to spend it on the bills that you've accumulated. And it happens sometimes. But when we talk about integrity, this is what we're talking about. Integrity as far as dealing with merchants. Have you ever gone into a store and somebody gives you too much change back from what you purchased? What do you do with it? Do you pocket it and say, hey, look, I, I deserve it. Or they charge too much anyway. Or that store has too much money. Do we rationalize it and make excuses for it or we take it back? Now, some of you have shared testimonies before about taking it back. And you know how that impacts the clerk. They said they're astonished that anybody would bring money back. That just doesn't happen today. But what a testimony it is whenever that happens. Um, being honest, even when it hurts, is what we're talking about. Let me give you an example. How many of you have ever seen the show on TV called American Pickers? Don't you love that thing? You know? you got these two guys, Mike and Frank, and they travel around in this van all over the country. And the whole point of this is they go into people's uh, homes and and barns and all these things and they look for all these antiques that are worth something. And it's more of an educational show in the sense that they're always telling you how much this is worth and then it shows them taking it back to Iowa and selling it and I can remember one of those shows. I was watching it, and Mike climbs up into somebody's attic in their garage, and he's pulling out all this stuff. and He pulls out this item, and he asks the the person. He says, "How much you take for this?" And I don't even even know what it was, but the guy, you know, I think he thought he was really being shrewd. He says, "I'll take twenty dollars," thinking that's more than what it's worth. Mike thought for a minute. Mike said, "I'll give you 40. And I thought, "Wait a minute! That's not how this show works." You know, you don't do that. But his point was this. And he said, he said, look, man, he said, this is worth more than that. He said, I can sell it at that and still make a profit. He said, so I'll give you 40. And the guy was astonished, you know. But I wonder when was the last time you did a business deal where you paid somebody more for something than what they were asking because you knew the value of it? You know, this is the kind of thing when we talk about integrity that you're not always just trying to take advantage of somebody. When we talk about integrity, we're talking about not favoring the wealthy over the poor. Just treating them equally. And this is hard because a lot of times this takes place. Um, Let me share a couple of verses with you on this, okay? In uh, Proverbs chapter 17, verse 23, look at what it says. It says, "...the wicked accept bribes in secret to pervert the course of justice." In other words, somebody the idea of somebody catering to somebody with money. You give me money and I'll do what you want. I can be bought, so to speak. And he's saying that's a wicked thing to do. You're catering to somebody because you're greedy. Now, folks, we've have, we have an entire political system built on this practice. And that is that we, 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 we cater to people with money. We have something called lobbyists. Do you know what a lobbyist is? A lobbyist is somebody basically that goes in and tries to corrupt politicians to get what they want for the company they represent. And they buy off politicians, they bribe them, they pay them things just in order to get what it is that they want. Folks, this happens all the time. God says, that's not integrity. That's not integrity. But you know something? Churches do it too. Churches do it too. Watch this verse. It's in James chapter 2. It's in verses 2 through 4. It says, Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes. And a poor man in filthy old rags also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, Here's a good seat for you. But you say to the poor man, You stand over there. Or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Now, what's the evil thought? What is it that the man is thinking when he caters to the wealthy and ignores the poor? What is his evil thought? Well, it's this. This guy can give me money. This guy can give me some support. This guy can make a big contribution. Hey, folks, let me tell you something. Churches do it all the time. They do. And that is not financial integrity. So all of these areas of life that we encounter are areas where we have to make a choice concerning finances to respond a certain way or to not respond a certain way. And oftentimes it's not with integrity. So what we're going to be looking at today is that subject of responding to life with with integrity when it comes to our finances. And here's the point. Of all of this that we're saying today, this is the point. To boil it down to this. That as a believer, as somebody who is a child of God, we have to live life with financial integrity. We have to. Now let me tell you something. We are notorious for dissecting and compartmentalizing our lives. This is my faith, my religion, my church, and this is business. And you can't do that. Because if my faith doesn't impact my business practices and my financial practices, then what good is it? You see, if if I talk about being a strong Christian and loving the Lord and go out through Monday through Friday and I'm dishonest or deceptive or cheat people out of things, then what good is my faith? Now, I am convinced, and I truly believe this, that at least some of your money problems exist because you're violating God's teaching on financial integrity. Now think about this with me, okay? We all struggle financially at times and run through hard times in one thing or another. And I really believe that part of what we are experiencing individually is a response or the consequences of our poor financial choices as it relates to the Word of God. We are not acting with integrity. And we're suffering the consequences of it. Now, let me share a couple of verses with you. In Psalms chapter 15, the psalmist is talking about and he's asking the question, Okay, Lord, who is it that has fellowship with you? Who is it that's going to sit with you in your tent, your holy tent? And who's going to sit with you on the mountain, the holy mountain? Who's going to be allowed there? Who's going to be in fellowship and in your presence? And he's not talking about salvation here. But he goes through and he answers. He said, well, the righteous and the ones that do this and the ones that do that. And then he comes down to verse four and he says, the ones who keeps an oath, even when it hurts and does not change their mind. The one who lends money to the poor without interest, who does not accept a bribe against the innocent. Whoever does these things will never be shaken. Shaken. Now what is he saying? Well, the psalmist is telling you and me that when I act with with responsibility and integrity when it concerns money matters, that God says to me, "You'll never be shaken. You'll be well grounded. You'll be set." Now, that can mean a lot of different things, but I believe that at least in one area that it it is referring to, that I will not have the financial problems, the shaky foundation and so forth, if I am responding in my life in a godly manner when it comes to finances. Folks, this is vitally important. Look at this next one, in Proverbs 11, verse 1. It says, The Lord detests dishonest scales. But accurate weights find favor with him. Now, he's basically talking about a merchant. You go to a merchant and in those days you would weigh out things. I want a pound of coffee. So he goes and he weighs out a pound of coffee. But in reality, the scales say a pound, but you're only getting three quarters of a pound because he's adjusted the scales. It's dishonest. He says, I hate that. I detest that. But the one who acts with integrity in these financial matters... He says to them, he says, that's the one who finds favor in my eyes. Now, what is that saying? Saying, look, if you act with integrity when it comes to finances and money situations, then God's going to bless that you find favor in the eyes of God. Now, folks, I don't know why, I don't know why we find that so hard to understand so hard to accept because you know what? When we're faced with a situation, do we keep the money we found in the safe or do we turn it in to the person it belongs to? We really have a struggle within ourselves to do the right thing. When we are questioning whether we ought to, uh, to keep the money that was given to us by accident or do we steal some, a few little things from the business we work in, it's not going to hurt anything. All of these situations that we face each and every day, We struggle with what to do. And God says to you and me that you're always going to suffer and struggle until you get this right. Because my favor isn't going to be on you until you get it right. And financial integrity in every area of our lives is so vitally important. And yet it is one of the hardest things in the world for us to be or to have integrity in that area. It really is because money is so important. And it's, a, it's in such short demand. I mean, it's, it's not available. We work hard for it. So when we see an opportunity to get something or to get ahead, and it might be a little bit shady or dishonest, we do it. And we suffer the consequences because of it. So the question then becomes, okay, then how do I change? How do I become different? How do I change the way I view Money and financial situations. How do I become this person with integrity? What do I have to do? Well, let me share with you two things, okay? Just two things, uh, kind of in general. But I think that if you can begin to put them into practice, you're going to see some things change in your life. Here's the first one. Number one, you need to commit yourself to live life according to the Scriptures that you're making a commitment to live life according to what the Bible says. Now, this is true in every area of life, but we're relating it to finances. There has to be a commitment on my part ahead of time, before the safe ever cracks open, that I'm going to be a man of integrity in these areas of life and I'm going to do what it is that God has told me to do. And there are, like I said last week, 2,000 verses in the Bible talking about your finances. A lot of principles that deal with our money and our love of it and the sins that we do to keep it and to get it. And so I've got to make a decision. Am I going to live my life with integrity and be obedient to the Word of God or am I not? And folks, that's basically what it boils down to. This is not difficult. This is not hard to explain. It always comes down to a situation of obedience is what it comes down to. Am I going to please the Lord or not? Listen to what Paul says in Acts chapter 24, verse 16. He said, so I strive always to keep my conscience clear before God and man. I strive, I work at this, I make it a practice, I determine beforehand that my conscience is going to be clear before God and before men. And that pertains to finances, too. Now, we hear a lot about this today with, uh, with, you know, let your conscience be your guide. Now, let me just say something here. And I'm trying to make a distinction between somebody following their conscience and somebody following the word of God. There's a difference. The Bible talks about our consciences can, dis- can be misleading. Our conscience can be calloused. It can become insensitive. Do you know that if you continually do something over and over and over again, the easier it becomes, and I'm talking about a sinful act of some kind, your conscience no longer does its job. We become calloused. We don't feel it anymore. Look at this verse <coughs> In um, First Timothy chapter 4, verse 12, the Apostle Paul is talking again about false teachers. And he says, such teaching, such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. See, this is the problem that we're in today in our world. I I turn on the TV set and I hear talk shows and they talk about how that we're embracing a whole different lifestyle where marriage goes out the window and it doesn't really matter now because it's whatever feels good to you. It's whatever is good for you. You do your own thing. And there are no more absolutes, and so it doesn't really matter anymore, and nobody can say dogmatically what's right and wrong. It's whatever's good for you. What are they saying? My conscience is seared. I don't feel guilt anymore. And folks, here's where a lot of us as Christians have gotten in certain areas of our lives. We have allowed our conscience to become seared and calloused because we keep doing over and over and over again the same ungodly things. And we all do this. And this is why I'm telling you that you've got to back up and stop saying, well, I don't feel like it was wrong to keep the money in the safe. I don't feel like it was wrong to keep the change from the merchant that overpaid me. It doesn't matter what you feel. That can mislead you. What matters is what does God say about it. And in order for me to obey that, I've got to know what it says. This is why it's so important that you understand and have and listen to a sermon like this. Because you've got to understand the teaching of Scripture when it pertains to financial matters. And if I don't, then I'm not going to be able to understand When I was over, we lived in Dallas while I was in seminary. And, you know, we lived hand-to-mouth, basically, um, working our tails off and going to school and just really trying to keep up with the bills and stuff. And so whenever a car would break or have a problem, you, you know, I couldn't afford to take it to the dealership or to some expensive mechanic. I found a guy and we met through circumstances of work and so forth, who was a backyard mechanic. Now, basically what it means, he, he did it on the side. He worked at a car place, and he had hurt his back, and he was no longer employed there. He was on disability, but yet he could still work, and he worked on my car, and he did it, at an extremely discounted price. And we got along great. He's about as pagan as you can get. Living with a gal. I already had a kid with her. They're not married. He mistreats her. I've talked to him about the Lord. He knows I'm in seminary. We get along great. Can't explain it. He loved. He just liked me and I liked him, but he didn't want to hear anything about the Lord. I take my car in there one day to his house. And we, you know, usually outside on the driveway there, he'll work on it. He says, here, Dave, pull it into the garage. So he makes room, he pull it into the garage, he pulls the garage door down. What's going on? He says, well, he said, you know, I'm on disability and workman's comp and all this. He said, and they have sent out investigators and they sit across the street there with cameras trying to see me doing stuff so they can prove I'm not disabled. He says, which I'm not, I'm just milking the system. I said, what? He said, yeah. He said, hey, look, it's dog eat dog. Get what you can, you know. He said, they got plenty of money. They can afford it. And uh, it was like, okay, do you not have any shame? I mean, do you not feel any twinge of guilt over this? Not a bit, I'm telling you, not a bit. And folks, unfortunately, that's where a lot of people are today. And unfortunately, that's where some Christians are today. You say, well, they have the Holy Spirit, I know. But even that, we have become accustomed to ignoring. And it's almost as if, like the Bible says, we've quenched the Spirit. And as, again, it's the idea of it becoming so callous that we, we think right is, wrong is right, you know. And, and this is why I'm telling you that unless you make a commitment to be obedient to the Scriptures, regardless of how you feel, nothing is ever going to change. And so you've got to be able to say, you know what, Lord, I believe what you say and I believe that this Bible has the right way. I don't understand it and I don't really want to do it because it's hard a lot of times. But by faith, I'm going to step out and do it because I believe that in the end, it'll be better for me if I do. And I believe that by doing it your way, life is going to be easier for me if I do. So, folks, I'm challenging, I'm I'm asking you, that unless you begin to see this and stop going with your feelings, but be committed to being obedient to the Scriptures, your life is never going to change. And so how do you go about making the change? Number one, you've got to make a commitment to do what is right before God, according to the Scriptures. Here's the second thing that you're going to have to do. You're going to have to care... What other people think. You're going to have to care what other people think. Now, I'm talking about your reputation. You know, I've had people tell me over the years, and not just here, but elsewhere. They've said to me, Pastor, I have been screwed over so many times by Christians in business. That it has gotten to the point that if I know this person is a Christian that I'm going to do business with, take my car to, whatever... I'll purposely go somewhere else where there's not a Christian because I get a better deal with him. You know, that's sad. It doesn't happen often, but there have been people that were honest about that, and and they did that. You know, I hear things a lot of times as a pastor, um, and and this, again, is is like years of ministry here, not just here at Dogwood. But so-and-so is dishonest. So-and-so cheated me. So-and-so's done this, and... You know, it's always this this idea, I'm a good Christian example at church on Sunday, but boy, Monday through Friday, you better look out. And you've got to start caring not only what God thinks, but you have to care what people think. And sometimes I wonder, do we? You know, for a lot of us, do we really care what, what other people think about us? Let me read you this, um, this passage here. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. It's in verses 20 through 21. And this is the passage where the Apostle Paul has taken a huge collection from all the various churches in Asia Minor, Minor, and he's taking it to the saints who are struggling. I mean, this is a lot of money. This is a lot of money. And he says here in verse 20, he says, we want to avoid Any criticism of the way we administer this liberal gift. For we are taking pains to do what is right, not only in the eyes of the Lord, but also in the eyes of man. Now notice what he's saying. He says, I'm going to great lengths here because I, I, I not only want the Lord to be honored in this and for, for, for there to be no doubt about, you know, all the money that you give me is getting to the people who need it and it's getting to, to b- being distributed fairly and equally and, and so forth. He said, not only that, he said, but I don't want people to be talking about having doubts about that either. It was important to Paul, his testimony and what people thought about him, and, and, and so forth. You know, sometimes I wonder, you know, here at our church, does it matter to you what people think about our church because of you? When you're doing business out in the community and you're shady and crafty and, 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 and so forth, does it not matter that you go to this church? Do me a favor, folks. If you're going to cheat people, don't tell them where you go to church. Please. Please. But I'd rather you just stop acting this way in ungodly fashions. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. Years ago, and and this has been years ago, you know, my wife is in real estate. She was in real estate in Indiana before we came here. She's in real estate now. A pastor calls her up one day, wants to see a particular piece of property. He's looking to build a church, build another building. So she goes and she shows him that one. She shows him some other ones. And she spends a whole day showing him around. And maybe, maybe even part of the next day. I'm not sure. And then during that time, he springs this on her. He says, oh, by the way, he said, I've got a broker in my church that's going to write the contract on whatever we find. Because he's going to then donate his, his money, his, um, his uh, commission back to the church. Now, basically what that means is this, that you're not going to get anything. I'm going to take advantage of you and let you show me all these properties and waste your gas and your time for two days. But he's going to write the contract and get the commission so he can give it back to the church. Now, folks, that's about as dishonest as you can get and deceptive you know what if you're going to do that if you need me to show and deb's done this so many times she's had people call her my agent is tied up and can't show me something i really want to see it would you show it there said, a fine i'll show it to you she gets nothing for it do it anyway had other realtors call her up and say i'm tied up can you show this piece of property for me i'll return the favor someday do it no not a problem But for a pastor to take advantage of me for two days and then spring this on me as though he's been hiding it all along to this day, when that man's name is mentioned, it's like, you know, maybe a great guy. He really might be a great guy and a great pastor. But in that situation, because of the greed, I want to save the money. He took advantage of another person and didn't think twice about his reputation and as far as my wife is concerned his reputation is dirt right or wrong that's just the way it is i am always concerned about what people think about me so much so that because this is a pet peeve with me i've seen it i've seen this too many times pastors for some reason thinking that they can act like this deb we bought her a new car here a couple of months ago and we had this van we've had for 10 years, 120,000 miles on her or something. But she she was ready for a change. So and when the air conditioner quit, that just about sealed the deal. So I said, look, right, fine, let's go get a car. Go find something you like. So she bought something she liked. I said, okay, i got to get rid of this one. So I let it sit there for about a month. <laughs> didn't want to mess with it. I think we've got to get this thing out of the driveway. So I take it to one of these, I call them a note lot, you know, where the you finance it right there. It's an independent practice, you know, where they'll take the car. And so I take it in and this guy, he, he find out he's a Christian. And he, he said, where do you? I said, where do you go to church? He's telling me, I said, he said, what do you do? I said, I'm a pastor out oh, of Dogwood. Oh, great. You know, yeah. So we're talking, I said, tell him what the car is, you know, and. He looks it up in the blue book sitting there and he's telling me, he said, all right, he said, I know I'm not buying a new car. I realize that. He said, but is there anything wrong with this thing? I'm sitting there thinking, this guy's awfully trusting. I said, yeah, I said, as far as I know, outside of just minor aches and pains, I said, the air conditioner doesn't work. I said, it just quit blowing cold. I said, I don't know what the problem is. I might have a leak. I said, I don't know. I'm just telling you. He said, all right. So he goes out there and cranks it up and blows the air. And you know, sure enough, it's, it's blow blowing hot. And he goes back in and he says, how much you want for it? I said, a lot. <laughs> now, I, I always say that because I don't want to, you know, you've got to play it cool. You don't want to tip your hand here, you know, play it close to the back. So how much are you willing to give me? Now, I knew what the car was worth because I would looked it up, too. He said, look, he said, the book on this thing, he said, I'm ashamed to say, I, I, yeah, okay, you tell me what it is. He said, the book on this thing is only $4,000. I was, little did he know, I would have given it to him for twenty five, But I just wanted to get it out of my driveway. I said, okay, $4,000. He said, the my only problem is this. He said, the air concerns me. He said, it might be minor, it might be a $1,000 item. Eh, I got my doubts about that. I, you know, probably five or 600 at the worst, but that's okay. Here's what I told him. I said, listen, because my biggest fear is him taking this car from the pastor of Dogwood Church and it blowing up on him. I I said, look, here's what I'll do. Let's assume the worst case scenario and assume that it's going to cost you $1,000 to fix that air conditioner. You give me $3,000, you can have this van. He said, all right, fair enough. Because I said, look, if you can get it done cheap, you can take the other money, I don't care, and put it towards something else wrong in the car that you want to fix. It's up to you. He said, fair enough. So he starts getting the paperwork together and cutting a check. I said, do you not want to drive it? He hadn't driven it yet. He said, well, I guess I ought to. I said, yeah. I said, Can I come out here. I said, because once I leave this lot, if it blows up, it's your car. I said, you determine now if there's anything else wrong we need to negotiate because I do not want you saying that I've cheated you. So he goes out there and gets in the car and he drives it up the road for a while and comes back, he gets out, he's all excited. He says, yeah, that's a good, that's a good car. He said, there's not much wrong with it. He said, that's great. He's all excited. I sell my van and I leave that lot and I pray to God every day that that thing something doesn't happen that I don't know about because I don't want my reputation shot. Now, let me tell you something. I could have gone in there, and when I was in seminary, we did this because I always had air conditioning problems. I'd go see my buddy Keith, you know, the unbeliever. He'd pump some Freon in it and keep me going for a while. I could go find somebody, stick some Freon in it, that'll make it run for another week and blow cold. take it down there and sell it to him and get $4,000. But the $1,000 wasn't worth my reputation. Now, folks, I'm telling you that your reputation matters and it's an issue of integrity. And for some people, honestly, I don't understand why we struggle so much with this subject and how you can live the way that you live financially and act all spiritual when everybody in town is talking about what a crook you are. Okay, then what do I do? <laughs> you convinced me. You know, tell me what to do. All right, let me share something with you right quick. There's three things I want to leave you with. Three things that I want you to, to grab a hold to here, okay? Number one, if you're ever going to change, if you're ever going to begin to, to, to respect and honor the Lord and respect and honor other people in and, and your business dealings, you're going to have to get into the habit of going the extra mile. Going the extra mile. This is an expression that we use all the time, but very few people know what it means. It comes out of the Bible. Jesus, I think it was, might have been the Sermon on the Mount, talks about He says, if somebody compels you to go a mile, you go two. Few people understand what that's talking about. Let me explain it. Uh, Jerusalem is controlled by Rome. Roman soldiers everywhere. Roman practice was this, that if you are a Jew living in, in this city... I can compel you to do anything that I want you to do. And oftentimes they would. They would say, hey, you over there on your way to the wedding, come here. I want you to carry this for me and help me. We're going to go to this next town. So it would inconvenience people to carry something or help these Roman soldiers, like slaves, take up all their time. The Jews were ready to revolt. They had had it. In Rome, wanting to keep the peace, changed the law, and the law became this. That if you are a Roman soldier, you can compel somebody to help you carry something or help you with some other item, but they can go no further than one mile. Because after that, you had to get somebody else. That way it soothed the Jews and kept them from rioting. When Jesus comes in and begins to preach this message, and He says, if somebody compels you to go a mile, they all knew what that meant then you go the extra mile. And they thought to themselves, you've got to be kidding. But what he's saying is this. If you are compelled to do something, he said you go over and above so nobody can say that you didn't do it the right way. Now folks, tell me, let me tell you something. When it comes to you and your financial integrity, if you want to change, if you want to make a difference, if you want to become a different person, then you're going to have to get into the habit of going the extra mile. And that may mean... Giving up a good deal because it's dishonest. It may mean doing something better than you would have done it. It may mean paying bills that just strip your finances to pieces, but you're doing the right thing. You're going the extra mile. You're doing whatever is necessary. You help somebody in need. You reach out. You do things like this that you're not used to doing. But if you're not in the habit of going the extra mile, then nothing is going to change. Because we are experts, we are pros in rationalizing and making excuses for every sinful thing that we want to do. And so you've got to go the extra mile. Number two is this. You need to repent. You need to repent for the things that you've done. You know, I sit here talking and, and you're sitting there listening and you're thinking to yourself, Oh man. I'm going to get down in my seat a little bit because this one, whatever that item was, that one hit home. And it may be that you struggle with these. And it may be that what you need to do is confess to God that, you know what, Lord, I've been irresponsible in paying my bills, I've cheated my creditors, I've been less than honest with business practices, I've done things that were not right, I've not helped the needy, I've stolen from work, I've cheated people, I've done all of these things. And you need to stop and you need to call it what it is. It's sin. It's not business. It's sin. And until you acknowledge that, then nothing is going to change. And so when I say to you that you repent, you're turning to God and you're saying, Lord, this is what I have done. I've made excuses for it. I've tried to get by with it for whatever reason. But God, it's sin. I, I, I'm confessing it. It's sin. And then here's the third thing you're going to have to do. That if possible, you need to make it right. You need to make it right. You go back and you do the right thing. Maybe you've cheated somebody. Can you imagine the testimony and how your reputation skyrockets if you go back to somebody and say, Let me tell you something. I cheated you out of this money. I did it, I did it on purpose. Because, you know, I was greedy, I was afraid, I thought I needed money, and I figured you were a willing victim, I'd take advantage of you. But God has convicted me. And I'm trying to straighten some things out in my life. And here's the money back, and here's some extra besides. Now you tell me, what happens to your reputation at that point? Very few people do that. And like I said, it may not be possible in every situation. But as best you can, you do that. I want to share with you this verse, this couple of verses real quick. And I, I know I'm running long, but just bear with me here. There is a counseling technique that we use when we counsel with people. And we call it putting off and putting on. It comes right out of Ephesians. And this is something that if you are struggling with addiction you need to understand this. If you're struggling with wanting to change a habit, you need to understand this. Let me take this and apply it now to financial integrity, okay? Here's the passage. It's in Ephesians four twenty-two through 28. I want to work through it real quick. He says, Paul says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. To be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Now, stop there. He's saying, look, you were taught to stop sinning, to put it off. This is what you used to be like to put it off. And you're also taught to put on something else. In other words, it's not enough to say, I've got to stop doing this. You're if you want victory, you're going to have to say, I'm going to have to replace it with right behavior. I can't just stop sinning. I've got to replace it with righteous behavior. Now, this is important. You take a husband, for example, who's beating up on his wife. It's not enough for you to stop beating up on your wife. You've got to stop that, put it off. But you've got to put on love. Now you've got to get into the habit of treating her with respect, treating her with love. You see the, the, the thing, how it works. That's not enough to just stop it. I've got to change something and act righteously. Now, look at how he applies this in the next few verses. In verse 25. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor. Okay, stop lying. But that's not where it ends. Now you've got to go out of your way to be completely honest. You stop lying, but now you put into practice that you're going to always tell the truth. It goes on in verse 26. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your ra- while you're still angry. In other words, he's saying it's not enough that you say, okay, I'm not going to be angry. Don't let the day end without dealing with the problem. I'm not going to be angry, but now he says go deal with the problem. Putting off and putting on. Now, all of that to say this. Here's where he gets into finances in verse 27 or 28. Verse 28 says, anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer. That's the putting off. But must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. Putting on. See, it's not enough to say to somebody, stop stealing. Because eventually, old habits will come back. You've got to replace the void now with something righteous. Stop stealing. Go get a job. Take your money and help poor people. And now all of a sudden what they've done is they have replaced old habits with good. Folks, let me tell you something. If you want to change in regard to your financial habits, this in lack of integrity, then it's not enough to say, I'm not going to do that ever again. You've got to begin to change and to put into practice some righteous behavior in that area. And folks, whatever that may be, this is what you're going to have to do. But it means making it right. It means doing the right thing. It means being the person that God's called you to be. Understand? All right. I know we're running long. Folks, let me ask say this. If you're here this morning and you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ, please do that before you leave. You know, the Bible says that every one of us is a sinner. We've all done something wrong. That God has sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross for us. And He died and He took all of your sin upon Himself. And He says to you and me that if you'll put your faith in that and trust Him and accept Him as a sacrifice, as the Savior, that He gives you as a gift eternal life. I would love... To explain that further to you, I would love to sit down with you and answer your questions and help to show you from the Scriptures. There's a yellow card in the seat back in front of you. You can take that card and just fill it out, drop it in the offering plate. I will give you a call and we will get together and talk if that's what is necessary. But salvation is very simple. It's very easy. Don't make it more than it is. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes for just a moment. You know, maybe as we sit here this morning, something that's been said or something that you've read in the scriptures has pricked your heart. And the spirit of God is just really doing a work on you. And there there needs to be some changes. There needs to be a new attitude about how God and you and your finances all come together. And folks, whatever it is the Lord's dealing with you about, that's between you and the Lord. I would be more than happy to talk with you, to help you in any way that I can. If you'd like to do that, please call me. But at least right here where you sit, before you leave here today, acknowledge to God the sin that you, that you see. The sin that you, that you see. The dishonesty, the irresponsibility, the deceptiveness, whatever it may be. What is there? Maybe you're just flat lazy and don't want to work or whatever. I don't know. But before God, deal with that now. Just turn to Him and say, Lord, I'm guilty. I'm guilty. I confess it. I acknowledge it. And Lord, help me to change. And folks, if you have struggles with changing, then come and talk with me and let me help you. Our Heavenly Father, as we bow here before you, Father, we are uh, convicted because, Lord, we know how important our finances are to us. Our sense of security, our sense of pride, all stem from this. But Father, more than anything else, I pray that we would begin to see how our finances are linked so intricately with our spiritual life. And Father, if we want Your blessing, if we want Your, your hand of approval on our lives, then Lord, may we be people with integrity in the areas of our finances. Father, help us to be that kind of people. And I pray that everybody that does business in this community from Dogwood Church would lift not only Your name up, But the name of Dogwood as well, because they are honest people. Father, we thank You for our church. We thank You, Lord, for Your Spirit to convict and guide and direct us. Now help us, Lord, to become more like You. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.